Welcome to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine Podcast, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many other women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.lorenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Kelly Garza talks with me about the steamy chick origin story, the results from the fourth trimester vaginal steam study, and the importance of the work of the Good Gynecology Project. Let's listen. Welcome back. Today, we are truly honored, and I am very excited about speaking with our guest. She's become a personal cheerleader, a colleague, and a friend in what seems like overnight. So with no further ado, I reintroduce you to the original steamy chick, Kelly Garza. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Hey, everybody. My name is Kelly Garza, and I own a company called Steamy Chick, and I essentially raise awareness about vaginal steaming. So when there are studies um, about vaginal steaming, I have to, you know, uh, you know, raise awareness about those online. I've also been involved in doing some research on vaginal steaming. Um, I also um, do certification courses to help train practitioners how to implement steaming into their practices. And, um, you know, all things vaginal steaming. <laughs> That's what steamy chick ends up being about. <laughs> Excellent. And so for those of us who don't know, tell us the Steamy Chick origin story. So let's see. I, I like to say that this is a, a business that started me. I didn't really start this business. There was never a moment okay. where I was like, I know I'm going to start a business about <laughs> vaginal steaming. <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, I heard about it at a talk. Um, I heard about steaming. I heard that it was something that um, that people could do if they had period problems. And I learned about it um, from a Guatemalan woman um, mm -hmm. who um, who was sharing about it in a womb workshop, um, Marcia okay. Lopez. And so um, I, I it didn't occur to me to ever use it at that time because I didn't have period problems. But when you fast forward a year later, uh, I had a missing period. And mm -hmm. um, I re remember thinking I needed to figure out a way to bring back my missing period. And so I went to sleep with that question. I just posed mm -hmm. the question, okay, how in the world do I get my period to start? And the next morning I woke up and I was like, oh, vaginal steaming, I have to do that. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> the year was, at this time it was 2012. 
Okay. No, 2011. And uh-huh. so I searched online and there was zero articles that came up that said vaginal steam. Um, but I continued to search and I finally found um, the Korean term for it, and um, which was chayok or something like that. And I found uh, uh-huh. an L.A., a Los Angeles um, spa that offered the Korean form of vaginal steaming. And so I went and I did a vaginal steam. Um, and when I drove home, um, by the time I got home, my period started. So it worked for me. <laughs> and so boom, within hours, <laughs> yeah, my period right. that I'd been missing for a couple months, my hormones were all over the place. And all of a sudden it was wow. back, you know? Okay. And, um, and I learned from the Korean spa owner um, that steaming was something that was regularly done uh, as a Korean practice in order to um, maintain health, in order to prevent any mm-hmm. health problems from happening. And right. I tell you, when that period started, it was the healthiest period I had ever seen. And mm. you have to get a so little talk bit. To us before you go, before you go, explain to us what a healthy period is, because I think a lot of times yeah. we still don't know. Yeah. So describe a healthy period. Well, I have a whole class on how to like read periods <laughs> and how to d- know if your period uh-huh. is healthy. But I'll tell you, at that time, I didn't know that, that kind of stuff. Okay. I'll tell you okay. from my point of view why I consider it healthier. Okay. I had brown periods. And I had okay. asked my, my gynecologist when I had my first gynecologist appointment when I was like 21, they were like, do you have any questions? And I was like, yeah, is my period supposed to be brown? And they were like, oh, well, is it always brown? And I was like, yeah, it's always brown. Then they were like, then that's what's normal for you. And I was like, okay. And so that's the information Ooh. I was given. And so, <laughs> but still, even the fact that I asked, I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, to me, yeah. it shouldn't have been brown, <laughs> right? Like, right. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't own up to that at the time. But I right. sure, I certainly did after this steam because I steamed yeah. a couple hours later, my period started and I had a fresh red healthy smelly it smelled different you know like yeah. sorry to say mm-hmm. that but it did it just it was this fresh red blood and i was just like yeah boom this is a good yes. looking period right here <laughs> <laughs> and so what i had learned while talking to the shop owner um the spot owner to, to steam once a month after the period i was like well i'm gonna do that because i don't want to mm-hmm. die of ca- cancer <laughs> you know like right. ultimately like that's what yeah. popped into my head me no not not knowing much that, that was just the right. association i made i was <laughs> like i should do this so i didn't want to mm-hmm. do it in public again because that was outside okay. of my comfort zone so i went right home i had my period for a couple days when my period was over i i took a chair and i just like mm-hmm. MacGyvered this chair into my own little, you know, steam stool. And, you know, I went and I gathered some herbs that just some herbs that I that I use, you know, that I used mm-hmm. as drinking herbs. And um, and then I did my own steaming at home. And I did this for several years without telling anybody. I tried to tell somebody, but they were like, you do what? And like, I just you do I, what to your vagina? Yeah. And I what? just I backed out like I, ca- I cowered right. it out. I was just like, I'm like off. OK, yeah. we're done. So I did it privately for a very long time until um, right. until when um, when I was postpartum with my first baby, I had I'd given birth and I had learned now through a Facebook forum that Ghanaian uh-huh. woman, women in Africa do it postpartum. So if you're following my trek, I had learned it was Guatemalan for period problems. Uh-huh. Then I yep. did it in, in a Korean spa to bring back a missing uh-huh. period. And then now I was doing it following the Ghanaian tradition 
to use it postpartum and as Gyne- a gynecology preconception care <laughs> and postpartum care right. boom okay and so like as a i have a i have a master's degree in international development so i was very mm-hmm. interested in like but w- these different places you know and yet they were all right. doing the same thing and i still couldn't find there were zero articles that would turn up on Google about it at the time, right? So anyways, mm-hmm. I did my um, my postpartum steamy and I pulled out my chair and I was doing it. And that's when the people around me started to discover that I was doing this, right? And so one of my friends oh, in particular wow. was like, Kelly's got a witch chair. Ask Kelly about her witch chair. <laughs> so... Oh, so my friend... called it your witch chair? Oh. So my friends started to be like, Kelly, so-and-so says that you lost all that weight be- and because of your witch chair because I, I lost all of my baby fat right away postpartum. Right. And so, um, so my friends started to ask about it. And in particular, my postpartum friends who were dealing with, you know, I started to learn what issues they were dealing with and also trying to lose their, their baby fat after giving birth yeah. were interested in, in trying steaming. And so that's the first time that I started talking to other people about it. Uh, again, um. you know, again, is they had to pull it out of me <laughs> because it wasn't <laughs> right. something that, you know, that I felt comfortable talking to others about. And so, you know, it was it was not long after that that um, strangers started to contact friends of friends started to contact me. Hey, can I mm-hmm. buy some herbs from you? Hey, can I buy a vaginal steam chair from you? And I was like, I guess so. And so I would put my little baby on my back in a little backpack, you know, a little carrier. <laughs> And I would, you know, go collect herbs or make these these steam chairs. And I was, um, one one person asked, "Well, can I write a blog about this? That I've I've had such incredible results. Can I can I write a blog mm-hmm. about this?" She was somebody who was dealing with uh, yeast infections and bacterial vaginosis chronically for three or four years, and now she had steamed wow. and her problems went away. And so she was just mm-hmm. like, "I can't believe how incredible this is. Can I write a blog?" And I'm like. In my mind, I was like, I'm sure nobody's going to read your blog. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. How? I know no one's going to read your blog. So sure, go ahead. Yeah. That's um, not nice. <laughs> I didn't even know who this was. It was just somebody who, it was a friend of a friend, somebody texting me now after the fact that I just, I I don't know. That was just my, my reasoning for saying yes. I was just like, yeah, I'm sure. Yes. It's, it's no problem. And so she wrote right. this blog and I was wrong. This was uh, Marisha Mirnowska. She's the owner of um, of a company. I'll tell you in a moment. And um, mm-hmm. she uh, has like a lot of followers on Instagram. She was writing a blog for um, for uh, ABC um, Home mm-hmm. <laughs> Home. Um, what's it? A ho- like a home a home show? You know. And okay. So, anyways, like an HGTV show. Or yes. Something like yes. That. So basically. Okay. Everybody read this blog <laughs> that she wrote. Right. Uh-huh. And then I went viral, right? And so I had people calling and texting me from all over the the United States and right. and internationally. And this was all without a website or an Instagram page or a Facebook page. And so right. uh, after I was getting all of these um, calls and emails I was like, um, and text messages, I was like, okay, let me just put up a website. And so I, I didn't, again, being the secretive type of person I am, I didn't want to put... <laughs> vaginal steaming you know so i put a right steamy chick i was like you know i'm gonna make it a little discreet you know i'm gonna make it a little uh-huh. cool so i, I called right. it steamychick.com and so i put up that website and again at the time when i put up that website it was 2014 and there were still zero articles that would come up about vaginal steaming so this in effect ended up being the first website in english on the world wide web that used the terms 
vaginal steaming so that in, if somebody <clears throat> searched for it, they could they could find right. it. Um, a couple months later, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, wrote about mm. vaginal steaming in her blog. And uh-huh. when she wrote about it, media article the you know media outlets everywhere went searching for vaginal steaming and also the the people who follow her and so they found my website and so from there i've basically ended up on back order for years just trying to keep up with all of the the orders um for herbs and 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 steam chairs because i was the only at that time the only and first supplier of vaginal steam supplies in the united states although there were a couple korean spas where it could be done um nobody nobody had the supplies so this ended up being right, the right. first the first place and so that's how my that's how my business started me and i've been chasing it ever since yes. <laughs> oh my gosh that now that is an origin story i mean when you think about a true origin story that's it that's that's amazing and then i had that's to get amazing. into research pretty immediately after that yeah, because uh-huh. when Gwyneth Paltrow mentioned about vaginal steaming all of a sudden all these media articles came out just completely smearing it, right? Just yeah. completely mm-hmm. smashing it. And I was like, well, there's got to be some evidence. I'm like, I mean, I have some case studies and some people are giving me right. really great stories. And so that's where I started to, I, I, I moved very quickly beyond just, you know, um, supplying the, the steam supplies to, right. you know, um, creating a blog and writing information about mm-hmm. some of the case studies and then the research that I could find um, on steaming, right. which was mostly not in English. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I just, I'm, I'm mind blown, even as I talk and I've heard some of these things already. Um, it, every time I hear it, it just gives me a little shiver. Um, so at our practice, we use the term vaginal steaming primarily to eliminate the stigma placed on saying the actual word vagina out loud. However, there are actually more appropriate and inclusive terms that can also be utilized so talk to us about these terms and when they should be could be used and what's the appropriate terminology for different situations yeah well the the medical term that i use i like to use for vaginal steaming is uh peristeam hydrotherapy so that Mm -hmm. would come from the peri is used quite a bit in medicine which stands for perennial Mm -hmm. or perineum right and then um so just i put peristeam together and then um, hydrotherapy because it is a form of using water um, you know, to right. create a, a physiological effect. Um, and another term that is um, not everybody knows the term perennial or, or peri and know mm-hmm. what that refers to. I think from a medical point of view, that's um, that's a, a better term. But a lot of people are now um, holding on to and adopting the term pelvic steaming, which is more inclusive right. because it would also include um, male anatomy um, mm-hmm. and also uh, any like uh, third genders, um, or, or other, Mm -hmm. other gender, um, uh, associations. So pelvic steaming is actually, I've tried different terms and then there's also yoni steaming, which people like to use, but pelvic steaming is really on the rise as one that people are holding onto. And I think that in a couple more years, I think pelvic steaming will be, um, the most common term that we hear. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm guessing. And I, yeah, I dig that. And that does definitely more inclusive. It takes into account both genders. And like you said, I don't think many people know where the perineum is. Um, but I think everyone knows where the taint is, <laughs> depending on what region of the world you're from. So that's what it is. The taint is the perineum, y'all, just in case you had any confusion. <laughs> so anyway, um, we had our first wildly fantastic conversation together a couple of years ago when I was talking to you about the myths and lies associated with vaginal steaming. 
And these myths and lies are so prevalent and often propagated by people who know little to nothing about pelvic steaming, vaginal steaming, perennial steaming, parasteam hydrotherapy. So how do you respond to those antagonists? Yeah, I really try not to be <laughs> engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but in general, um, uh, for some reason, um, a lot of people have a knee-jerk reaction when they hear about vaginal mm-hmm. steaming. Just a oh my gosh you know like there's just for some reason a lot of people have like a very like averse first reaction to it i don't think it's a reaction Mm -hmm. to actually vaginal steaming i think it's a reaction to uh women's health um and i think it's kind of like a carryover of some of the um oppression of women especially in medicine um that women are not authorities women and our home remedies or practices um should be discontinued and only the advice of a of a of a doctor you know wearing a white Mm. jacket should you know should be followed right and and so i think in a hospital in a hospital (laughs) or private practice right so you know i i think it's really a reaction to um the oppression of women in medicine or this idea that women do not know um, better or you know shouldn't be uh, talking about their vaginas or it also may be a reaction to this idea that vaginas are dirty or you know a, a thing of shame mm. that shouldn't be discussed um, pu- especially publicly you know it's very taboo to use the word vagina um, as you as you mentioned right. one of the reasons why you use the term vaginal steam is to get rid of that you know <clears throat> that taboo around that um, but in general there are um, when Gwyneth Paltrow mentioned vaginal steaming on her blog, um, there were media articles that came out and they were just like, Gwyneth Paltrow's talking about vaginas. Let's get in on this. Right. You know, like really it was <laughs> sensational. It was just like, all right, this is right. Let's, let's, let's have some fun here. And so, um, right. So what the media articles did, what the journalists did was they called, you know, the closest OBGYN <laughs> that they had access to and said, Hey, what do you think about vaginal steaming? Gwyneth Paltrow says that people should steam their vaginas. What do you think? Right. And the OBGYNs, OB guys everywhere were like, yeah. What is that? We don't what? know what that is. So don't do it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a result, yeah. you, we've got article after article. Okay. So remember that quiet time when there were zero articles that would come up <laughs> when you mentioned vaginal steam now there's hundreds of articles that come up thousands right uh, that are the the resulting Mm -hmm. media articles from that one instance where she mentioned it and then you had all of these news articles call the closest OBGYN and say Gwyneth Altrell says steam your vagina this doctor says don't right and um right and some of the doctors weren't even ob guys, by the way um, one of the articles was a foot doctor because uh, i you know had to go through really? these <laughs> like right. a little bit people were sending them to me left and right you know and i was right. going through them and i was like this is a foot doctor <laughs> i was like right that's not really due You're diligence a podiatrist. yeah <laughs> right and i did have Stop. to look up podiatrist but i was like what doctor? Right. No. <laughs> so, so what we had, what we had as a result was a lot of media articles using medical, using opinions by 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 medical doctors that didn't have any research that they were basing those opinions on, and they were right. now in a situation where they had to respond with an opinion before doing any research, and so they kind of said mm-hmm. things that from the top of their heads, right? And so some of the things that right. the you know responding doctor said was. It seems like it's, um, uh, you know, like 
dewy, you know, it seems like it's a damp type of thing. So perhaps it could cause mm. yeast infections. And they said, um, no, despite okay. the fact that according to case studies, according to people's own experiences, steaming was helping them get rid of their chronic yeast infections, but it didn't matter. The doctors right. don't know. They didn't know that they're not, uh, they yeah. weren't aware of that. So they said, it seems like it would mm -hmm. cause you to have yeast infections. Uh, one doctor said, um, that people could die from it. He said it could be deadly because you're not supposed to blow air into the vagina, which vaginal steaming is not, right? But again, does not do, does not, not do. familiar with We're talking the about steam. Right. Uh, <laughs> not yeah. it. I mean, and then like people, were, they were describing that in the articles. It's like, I just imagine taking a leaf blower and attaching it to your vagina. Nobody should be doing that. And it's like, yeah, well, nobody is doing that. Also, that's not happening. <laughs> right. Let's keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> we had uh, doctors saying that it could cause a pH imbalance because the um, or or you know that it could kill the healthy bacteria in the vagina. Mm -hmm. Which um, finally, actually, I have found a study about that that was done in India, and it actually showed that um, the steam group versus the non-steam group, the control group in the study, uh, the steam group's um, pH balance went clo closer to a normal and healthy pH balance versus, right? So, you know, but this is after the fact, trying to find some research and trying to understand, yeah. right? Um, but we had mm -hmm. all these opinions without research. And so they, um, they're still And they there. also quickly become fact. Yeah. And that's the thing, like those opinions quickly become fact, yeah. even though the anecdotal stories of people who have actually steamed can say something completely different. Anecdotal stories from supposed subject matter experts become fact without any basis in research, any anecdotal evidence, any real life experience. And it went from opinion to fact in almost one conversation. Yeah, it was a real lesson for me on, um, you know, kind of the role of media and responsible media and like how that, that right. written word can really become something that is authoritative just because it's in a news article, right? Um, yeah. Another one that was interesting was that um, it was kind of really attacked the people who do the vaginal steaming saying, oh, you know, these women do this because they are ashamed of their bodies and they think their vaginas are dirty. And so they're, they're doing this because um, they're anti-feminists, which is, is such a strange and interesting <laughs> like twist on it right um because this is coming from the point of view of like a pro-feminist you know point of view um but exactly. I, you know there was never any point where i was like oh i feel dirty you know and ashamed of my vagina i think that's why i'm gonna vaginal steam no it was i had a missing period no postpartum i had a <laughs> right. postpartum infection and a, and a prolapse and so i steamed and was able to help with that there was never a point where it was like i'm a ashamed of and i hate my vagina right which is what they you know that yeah. argument says so anyways there's a bunch of strange articles about vaginal steaming uh, none of them based in or n not min i haven't seen any of them based in fact actually and mm -hmm. then um right. or based on evidence um and what they do i mean you asked this like how i think i believe you asked how does this you know impact um you know steaming is that Ultimately, sometimes right. people are like, wow, vaginal steaming might be able to help me with these chronic yeast infections. Let me try it. And then they Google vaginal steaming and then they see these articles and they get scared and they don't try it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, right. again, there are so many people that are trying it because of because of, you know, all of the um, 
the case studies and all of the amazing like you mm-hmm. know stories and experiences people have had with it that i don't see it as my job to you know to try to convince anybody you know if they've read an article yes. that says that a doctor says not to do it and then they've made up their mind uh, i do think it's unfortunate because it's such an amazing home remedy um that can mm-hmm. be done um that can help with so many um discomforts and um discomforts and that that women have i I think there's a lot of needless suffering uh that happens from from menstruators that is just just unnecessary you know when you see uh that steaming can uh, help so many people get past um crippling cramps or you know um Mm -hmm. or pain or you know loss of work or loss of of school you know it's just it's just sad that it it isn't used more and 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 that's something i'm so grateful for you know for doctors like you who are starting to refer to you know that are using it integrating into your practice Mm -hmm. and then there are more and more OBGYNs as they learn about it and as they hear about their client their patients you know experiences with it are now starting to to um, recommend it right and I think that will continue as now the evidence comes out um with with you know the case that the positive case studies Um, I think it's just going to continue to gain um uh to gain like to, to be used more and more more commonly to gain more steam. Yes, maybe? to gain more steam. Yes. I missed it. Up I and was, I was so like, close I let it go. and I missed it. I could let it go. I could let it go, this but I'm is, not. I was like, I was this close to just letting it slide by, but I couldn't I do it. I started it, but I needed you to finish it. <laughs> there you go. You set me up, I knocked them down. There you go. <laughs> so you talked about your postpartum period. Literally, in terms of vaginal steaming, also known as the fourth trimester, and how it aided you in your healing and overall recovery. Talk to us about the fourth trimester, what that means, and the study that you conducted with your team. Sure. Um, So... I did a study. What I wanted to do was I wanted to look at. So, okay. So I had an an incredible like fourth trimester. So the fourth trimester is the -hmm. the time, the the three months after you give birth is kind of considered the the fourth trimester. And it's that recovery time period. Right. Um, And so it's considered that time period when the mom's body needs to recuperate and, and return, you know, the organ. Um, the organs need to return back to their location and their normal function and so forth, right? The pregnancy isn't over right. the moment the baby comes out, right? The body still needs to. Yeah, it's just You're beginning. Right. It's just beginning. Right. <laughs> so, um, so when I had my first baby, I had a prolapse where the um, cervix, the, like the whole uterus can, can, for those that don't know, can fall out when you have a baby, okay? Mm-hmm. Mine was yes. a pretty, uh, it was a pretty like, severe prolapse in that the cervix was all the way down at the vaginal canal opening so i don't know if that's stage right so just to clarify your cervix doesn't and uterus doesn't literally fall completely out of your body it does fall out of place of where it is traditionally positioned where it's originally positioned pre-pregnancy and doesn't matter whether you were introverted or retroverted it just falls out of the healthy place of where it was prior to pregnancy. However, there are different grades of prolapse. And like you were mentioned, her cervix had fallen so much so that it was at the vaginal opening. So Yeah. And I didn't like that at all. It wasn't normal. It felt weird. (laughs) Healthy, comfortable, any of those things. I I kind (laughs) of shed a few tears the first time I went to the bathroom. Like I just didn't know what was wrong with me, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. and so, 
I steamed. I steamed. I um, the first. I think the second day after giving birth, I started that soon, and um, as soon as I steamed, I saw. I noticed that there was an improvement. The cervix had actually wow. had gone up, and so it wasn't visible. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. And every day I continued to steam. And by day 10, um, my uterus was completely back in place. The midwife came and did a, a checkup on me on day six. And she was like, so is your uterus, how's your uterus? Is it going back down to size? And she kept, t- you know, she was doing an examinal exam. And she was like, <gasps> she kind of like gasped. And she's like, I've never yeah. felt a uterus that is back all the way down to size after six days right mm-hmm. <laughs> so one yeah. of the things that mm-hmm. happens what you what you what happens is that when you steam mm-hmm. actually postpartum you see all of this stuff come out right and so one of the things that causes yeah. the, so the uterus needs to clear out all of the you know pregnancy matter that's still in there and once the, all of that clears out that's one of the things that can help the uterus go back down to size right and that's also one of the things exactly. that can make the uterus lighter and get back into its position mm-hmm. right and so um right that's my theory on why why th- this happens but but yeah i mean when i was doing those first steams i saw all kinds of stuff come out all kinds of you know clots all kinds of mm-hmm. you know pregnancy matter was coming out yeah. even uh pieces of the the placenta which apparently had uh, we thought was intact but there was all kinds of stuff that came out and um six days mm-hmm. later my uterus was back down to size 10 days later my stomach looked like i had never even had a baby <laughs> you know and it was so it was wow. so crazy and i wasn't you know, I'm not like a vlogger or something. I wasn't taking like pictures of this. And so I did right. take a picture at like five weeks and you could see this just just didn't mm-hmm. look like a post-pregnancy body at all. And um, right. but I never took that 10 day picture. I didn't take that six day picture. And so it just became kind of like hard to believe that that's really what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, my friends that were seeing me were just you know marveling at it right and so they have those stories too like you know and and they associated with the steaming and i i I wasn't doing the steaming for that so it was you know just i didn't and also i didn't have a baby i had never had a baby before so i also didn't know that this was unexpected right um right but Mm -hmm. but anyhow at a certain point i was like well let's do a study let's look at a group i mean and also maybe that was just me maybe this is just my genes you know um which, mm-hmm. you know, again, the women in my family usually, um, you know, have their, you know, girl body before and then their mom body after. So it isn't something, you know, that I could just say, oh, this is everybody in my family. It was definitely something that was different. Right. But um, but I wanted to do I, I just figured, look, this is a very easy study. Let's take a group of moms that aren't going to do any steaming and let's. Um, you know, do some medical exam, some, some, some exams on them and look at their indicators, um, after giving birth. And then let's take a group of women and steam them and compare those two. And so that's what we did. And so I had, um, I, I crowdfunded and also put forth, um, you know, some of my own funds, um, to get the study done. I, I partnered with, um, three other wonderful women, um, Kimberly Johnson, uh, Dr. Jale Boyd and, um, midwife Raquel Lemus. Um, Raquel is who did all of the, um, exams and all of the steam sessions. So we wanted it to be, um, so that it was mm-hmm. standard from people. And what she did was she, um, she did exams on people on days four, uh, days eight, 
and then uh, at six weeks postpartum. So, so she did this um, for everybody. And then half of the group steamed and half of the group didn't steam. Now, of course we wanted at least 30 people, but I think we only got like 10 or 11. (laughs) So, um, of course, by the time, So there's an end. Yeah. There's an end number type we, of uh, we shortage. But okay. a lot more people, you got to start but, somewhere. You know, so many people end up with cesareans and so forth, and we weren't part of right. their, you know, care until the postpartum. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so anyways, it, it's it's a big it's a big endeavor, especially for us to have self funded it. Um, but we did it, and we right. got you know some at least some numbers. Um, we call it a trial study, obviously, because it wasn't the size um, to be considered a, a, a real study. But um, but at least we set it up sure. and we did it. And so what Raquel measured, she she measured people's blood pressure and their pulse. Um, mm-hmm. She measured the fundal. Um, she she measured the size of their uterus, the f- their fundus is, is okay. the, the medical term for it, and she measured the width and yeah. height of the fundus. Okay, and then also how far it was. Yeah, the fundus for everyone. If you're looking at the top of your, or looking at a woman straight on, that's the top of her uterus where you measure like what week you are in your pregnancy. That's what doctors will continue to measure the top of the uterus in terms of measuring the preg- the progress of a. Uh, pregnancy and how far along they are in weeks yeah and it was pretty cool to for her to do that measurement she's like we don't do this in midwifery school or anything we don't measure the width and height you know so it was interesting for us to get those measurements um she measured waist size and weight um and then she visually looked at the labia and um and noted Mm -hmm. if it had uh swelling or any um like um what she called gapping which is like falling skin um she mm-hmm. looked at their lochia and um, talked about the color okay. and the um, amount of their lochia. She looked at their sutures, okay. um, their stitches, um, and looked at whether there was any, um, she looked at whether they had any discomfort, um, specifically um, itchiness, um, pulling, tenderness, tightness. Um, she looked at uterine contractions, if they were having any um, how, and how severe they were. Um, and so, and she also looked at bowel movements and hemorrhoids. Um, and so those were some, those were the main indicators. And, um, and what we saw is that basically, um, in all of those areas, our steam group ended up being, um, better off than our non-steam group. So, um, our steam group lost more weight, uh, and they lost weight quicker. Uh, our steam group had, um, Mm -hmm no contractions after day eight, whereas our non-steam group continued to have contractions uh, up until six weeks. Um, Our steam group had um, the blood pressure was, so the blood pressure and the blood pulse was, um, actually our steam group was interesting. They started with with a higher blood pressure and pulse, okay? And our non-steam group actually started a little bit lower. Uh, And then by day eight, Mm -hmm. our steam group's blood pulse and blood pressure had come down to normal, whereas our Mm non-steam group, sadly, their blood pressure and pulse were going up by day eight. Yeah, they were like... And you think about this wow. in terms of stress, like they were like way more stressed out by day eight. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. And steaming is relaxing as well. And, and besides all the clinical stuff that's going on, being able to sit there in a, like a isolated, warm, just comforting, just experience, whether you're nursing or not or whatever it is, 
it's a relaxing yeah. experience. Yeah, and so eclampsia is one of the you know causes of death postpartum, right? And right. one of the signs of eclampsia yeah. is, is is blood pressure or pulse shooting up. And blood so pressure. when you think of yep. our non-steam group, their blood pressure was going up, but our steam group's blood uh. pressure was coming down within a healthy range. Going. It didn't go like dangerously low. It was yeah. just coming down. So steaming seemed to. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of, sorry, I'm getting like a little bit of like chicken skin right now. Like goosebumps. Yeah. Goosebumps. Uh-huh. Yeah. To be something that was helping to prevent, you know, some of the possible dangers. Or a protective. Yeah. yeah. Even if it wasn't, if we can't go as far as saying because of the numbers and because of, you know, the constraints of the study, even if we can't go as far as saying it was preventative, we can say it was protective. There is some element of protection in steaming because it definitely wasn't going up it wasn't even staying the same so if blood pressure is trending downward you cannot say that it's trending <laughs> upward and if it's not trending That's upward protective. in some way shape or form something you're doing is protecting you from the thing that you're trying to prevent so we won't make the jump because i don't want to hear get any hate mail about lorena <laughs> and kelly said that steaming that's not what we said that's not what we said However, if something is trending down, it cannot be trending up. Yeah. And if it's trending down, it's protecting you from the thing that you're trying to prevent. That's all I'm saying. So thank you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and it was just thing after thing, you know, like our, our, our steam group was able to get rid of all their Lokia and had no Lokia by six weeks. Yeah. You know, our non steam group. Lokia's yeah, postpartum our discharge. Was, our non-steam group was still had was wearing pads at six weeks. You know, they still had that Lokia. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Sutures. Um, so with the stitches, that was a big one. Oh, the labia. As far as how the labia looked. Our yeah. non-steam group, after their steaming, their labias looked, they, they were no longer swollen, right? And they were no longer, you know, mm-hmm, gapping. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it went back into its right. form. And then our non-steam group, it did go right. back to form by six weeks, but by eight days, it definitely wasn't back to form yet. Um, you know, which right, just means right. that that's a little bit of swelling. That's a little bit of why people use those padsicles or, you know, or just might be wobbling a little mm-hmm. bit. It's a, it's a little yeah. uncomfortable, right? And so... It can be discomfort. Yeah, there's right, a little bit discomfort. Right, there could be. So, um, so then we had um, the stitches was pretty incredible. Um it, it it really our 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 non-steam group really seemed to um to have a lot more discomfort with those stitches and they had the discomfort the entire time all the way up to six weeks unfortunately they were still dealing wow. with discomfort from stitches and our non-steam group never had discomfort with stitches after day eight so our, our steam group did five days of steaming they steamed on day four five six seven and eight and i actually recommend more steaming postpartum okay. but within the you know confines of what we could do we just did those five days for them mm-hmm. um, so that was really great we were really happy to see how our steam group was um, alleviated from some of the discomfort with urination and things like that that can happen with that um, with those stitches yeah yeah so anyhow those were um, those were the you know some of the indicators and what we were able to find and this is a trial study which I would hope to see um, replicated obviously as a steam business owner myself um, my studies you know are side-eyed as you know like yeah 
you know, something that, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I created right. or just put together, you know, that and, and are, are false. Mm-hmm. But what I would love to see are universities and doctors and people who are medical researchers replicate the yeah. study because I put together the study. I put together the indicators and a model that can be now mm-hmm. replicated and be done with with a greater m- number of people. Yeah. And according to some of these results, this is something that, um, you know, would 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 greatly you know, alleviate some of the discomfort that new moms have. And if, if there is an issue with uh, postpartum depression, I think what we really need to look at are some of the issues mm-hmm. with mo- moms at six weeks still dealing with suture discomfort. Moms at six weeks still having Pain. to wear pads, right? <laughs> when that's something that if bleeding, these, if this yeah, trial, Those- if this trial <laughs> is true, if some of these indicators, you know, can be replicated, Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that, that, that postpartum moms shouldn't have to be dealing with. They should just be able to enjoy their baby and not have to, you know, deal with some of these, uh, discomforts that their, that their body, right. um, you know, is, is still trying to recover from. Right. And the alleviating burden of the healthcare costs. I mean, this is water, some herbs and a steam seat for four, five, six, seven, eight, five days. Imagine the inpatient, the repeat trips to clinics, the repeat trips to urgent care, the financial drain on the healthcare system and the patient. All that together, that would alleviate mm-hmm. a tremendous burden with some water and some herbal therapy. It's that's, so cool. And beautiful. the quality of oh, life, because beautiful. even something like prolapse is it's not really something that's addressed yeah. much, you know, uh, but it does affect people, you know, uh, right. people like mom's ability to be able to do sports and, you know, be active mm-hmm. in the way that they were before. Right. Pre-pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. So it's astonishing. And I'm again, waiting to see this study come to either the next stage where it's bigger or someone else, you know, take it on so that it can be, you know, done in, you know, private practices and hospitals so that it can be built into the care so that we could really address the, the overall overwhelming burden that is placed on the healthcare system and the right. And where that there's only one place. Yes. Yes. For everybody listening, who's got that medical research money. Um, but also <laughs> right if you're listening one place where steaming has been put into hospitals and what they're finding is again uh, the that? Czech Republic and Slovakia and they're actually using it in maternity <laughs> wards um when somebody is in labor Mm-hmm. And when patients are in labor, and um, right. so I'm just what you're when you're talking about the burden of the healthcare system. What they're finding is that they love it. The doctors and nurses yeah. love it because it's mm-hmm. resulting in less birth injuries. This is what they're finding with their labor steaming. It's resulting mm-hmm. in less birth birth injuries and shorter labors. And in the Czech Republic, they don't send moms home if they come too early. Yep. So the mom's there and they just got a lot of hours to wait or maybe days to wait. And so what they do is they set up a steam steam chair in the bathroom and they say, if you want to use this, you can use this. It's completely mm-hmm. optional. And what they're finding are that the patients that yeah. use it, um, again, they lose their mucus plugs a lot quicker. They uh, and their and their labor progresses much yeah. quicker. And so they're not going into any emergency yep. um, cesareans. They've had zero, tr- you know, transfers into emergency cesareans. Nope. They've had all. There's no artificial pitocin. They haven't that's had like, to use. You know, putting yet intervention rupture. <laughs> and they're dealing with six-hour and mm-hmm. shorter labors. And not only that, yeah. during the labors. Oh, sorry, during the birth. 
they're dealing with um, zero tearing. And so now the doctors yeah. and are now starting to put together a study because they're like, this is incredible. And, and now their preference is for people to use the steaming mm -hmm. uh, during when they're in the maternity ward. And so yeah. what happened was this was integrated into one um, hospital by, um, by a doula, um, Monica Valova, who took my course vaginal steaming for labor prep and then just happened to get this into the maternity ward, trained them how to Woo -hoo. use it. And then from there, um, she's now the other hospitals, the other maternity wards have asked her to come and train and she's, she's trained over 20 hospitals who are now using steaming during, wow. um, during labor. And so, you know, again, I think what, you know, what really I take away from it is that they're experiencing less burden, <laughs> right? They're mm -hmm. having now yeah. their patient there for a shorter amount of time. They have to do less interventions and the, the hospitals like all of that the whole team, the right. whole medical team it's a win -win. likes that, right? <laughs> so it's the possible. The whole system likes that. It's possible <laughs> yeah. is the point. And they're not using it for postpartum yet, but you know, hopefully it will, you know, Monica right. knows about steaming for postpartum, so hopefully it will progress to that too. But, um, but this yeah. is the only, uh, you know, one of the few examples that we have. And it's not something, I think so often people, you know, like um, they like to think of this as medicine or, you know, hippie stuff right and it's not it's not right. either mm -hmm. or <laughs> like we're talking about no you know we're talking about care for the basics yeah we're yeah. talking about care just for, basic care mm -hmm, basic care and it's basic care is something that is that's what hospitals are for right so there, there's no reason not to that's offer what they're this supposed to be for right that's what they're supposed to be for right, right. yeah and so it was it's just such Ooh. an amazing model and it's it's in the interest it's it's in it's it benefits the medical the, the hospital themselves it benefits the yeah. whole maternity it's mutually beneficial team. yeah right. there is no downside no downside there is no downside, no downside. <laughs> and we don't none, have to deal with none. this either or it's not science or quackery this isn't what this is no. although some it's media articles is. present it that way it's just not the case yeah yeah it's not it just isn't wow yet another <laughs> feather in your cap so last month or earlier this month we started our good gynecology group series so tell us more about this group's mission and vision well good the good gynecology group is a group of professionals um that have come together to <clears throat> kind of rethink gynecology when i look at mm -hmm. gynecology and how you know when you look at the history of gynecology and how it has formed it's kind of a little bit piecemeal right so we've got right surgery and and the history of how the surgery started and then like mm -hmm. birth care was added in and then now we have some medical devices that are getting added in here and there you know but like when i look right. at it when i when i read the book of gynecology which i have i have several like manuals on gynecology <laughs> for no reason at all i'm, I'm not a gynecologist myself Just, but it, you know like i'm 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 interacting with so many people you know and they're telling me okay. about their gynecological issues so i i kind of wanted to understand it and i don't feel like it's very well thought through from A to Z. One example of mm -hmm. that is that the first, um, the, the recommendation um, from a ACOG, um, the, can you help me? So the American College of. Yeah, American College of Gynecologists, um, for example, up until recently was that. Interesting gynecology, yeah. Was that um, people have their first visit to the gynecologists at the age of 21. Right. Well, if people start their period at 14 or eight, <laughs> Mm -hmm. If somebody starts mm -hmm. their period at eight, now they're, they're going, um, do that math for me, 13 years 
uh, with their periods yeah. before ever seeing a, a doctor who specializes in possible any possible issues right with that period right so to me that's just a you know that's just like wait a minute that doesn't quite make sense right if <laughs> right. Uh, people should be starting you know their visits to you know to a doctor who can help um with their period you know when they start their period right like that's just to me mm -hmm. the education that people should be getting around you know their menstrual cycles um should be like when they're starting their menstrual cycles right more than just um you know a pad mm -hmm. or, or or something like that so or worse birth control yeah or birth control exactly and um so there also um it seems like in gynecology um, from what i can tell the end all solution is to do a hysterectomy <clears throat> two things mm -hmm. here uh hysterectomy has the word hysteria in it and it comes from yep. believing that uh the womb is something that makes women hysterical and that's what doctors named it, right? So now here again, yeah. we've got something that's just outdated and doesn't make any sense. And yet that's, this is still the term we use, right? Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, again, right there, it's like, well, why don't we just go through and update all of this terminology all at once, you know, and, and name things, <laughs> right. things that actually make sense and, and aren't demeaning to, to women. You know, if some of this science was created at a time that women were thought secondary or, you know, lesser than, well, we don't think that now, so we need to update it, right? So this is also part of that work is right. we need to update and get rid of some of the derogatory stuff that is part of the current um, gynecological, um, you know, science, right? Um, Vernacular and this, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so it's a, it's a project, right. but it's basically to like, you know, and, and then like I find that kind of like there's a fall off, you know, after postmenopause, people can still be dealing with right. fibroids, right. <laughs> ovarian cysts and all kinds of things. But like there's like mm -hmm. a real just a cliff fall off that you just leave people alone at that time. Right. Um, I noticed that people <laughs> really suffer during menopause. A lot of times um, one of the ones that just, you know, is, is you know, kind of um, astounding to me is that um, sometimes people are dealing with like spontaneous bleeding or extra periods or ongoing bleeding right. during their 40s. And a lot of times they're turned away as you're going through menopause. You're going to be going through it for the next 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to have to just deal with it unless you want to yeah. unless you want a hysterectomy so it's, yeah. don't complain or get a hysterectomy right and this is yeah those are your options <laughs> these these are real people i've worked with right who you know yeah um who i've been able to offer steaming and and, and get some you know some results in in a lot of cases you know right. there but um but you know, again, why should I be offering steaming? I'm just, you know, these are people, people are able to find me on Instagram through, you know, holistic health and do able to, able to maybe, you know, find a solution. But to me, this is something that their care providers should be offering them as a solution. Yes, right? absolutely. And I think you hit on the kind of end, the menarche as the beginning of the cycle, menopause, the end of the cycle. And yet on one end is the birth control, the other end is the hysterectomy, but yet we're not addressing the actual underlying cause of any type of disorder or imbalance. We're just like, okay, just, you know, squash it or take mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. Those are, those are the answers. And yet there's no talk about, okay, what is the imbalance? Is it hormonal? Is it dietary? What else is going on and what other factors are playing into this? But you have a symptom, let's either squelch it, cover it up, and hide it or on the other end of the spectrum oh you have such and such symptoms okay let's remove the whole organ yeah. even though that probably doesn't always address the symptoms I, 
that you're trying to yeah address. i haven't found a definition of a healthy period or a healthy uterus okay you know like mm-hmm. the, it, it's non-existent in gynecology but this is the science for the uterus right like really and right. so and for reproductive health so you know like i just think that there's some things that are missing i think there's some holes i think mm-hmm. there are some things that are outdated you know and i think there are some things that haven't been thought through all the way <laughs> and so you know and and yes. when you look at the 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 how the whole science developed I, I you know again i don't think there's any issue with you know improving it right like there are very important um you know uh medical um uh breakthroughs that have been made um and then now there's there's just still further that we can go and so what i did was i pulled together a group of um doctors and then holistic um, healing professionals, um, acupuncturists, uh-huh. um, I think are really important. Acupuncturists have some really incredible tools that should be used in gynecology and referred to. I think every doctor, I think every doctor should have an acupuncturist that they refer to. Um, steaming, I think, is an incredible tool when it comes to overall gynecological and obstetrical care. Um, and so there are just some things that you know I think you know if we look at it and kind of like redesign it. <laughs> Um, should be right. integrated just as you know again part of this overall care you know like you know again th- when you see what's what's happening with um using steaming during labor in the czech republic there's just no reason not to you know and so again it can right. be something built into you know like the system so um so i pulled together a group of um just some of the greatest minds out there including dr Lorena, um to create these new models these these future models of care um that would you know kind of really offer a more holistic or or offer better options, you know, and, and, and better outcomes, um, for the people that are being cared for. And I think that's the beauty of this entire process that it doesn't have to be in one or the other, a, this or that, but an integrative approach to women's health. And I think a lot of times we pit so many things against each other, the midwife versus the medical doctor, this vaginal steaming versus a hysterectomy, birth control or versus fertility awareness methods. And it's always a dichotomy that has to be pulling and pushing against each other that's so unnecessary. When we actually take the time to integrate the overall treatment, the overall care of a person, then there is no space for that dichotomy because everything can fit, everything has a place. And it doesn't make one better or worse, it doesn't make one lesser or greater, it makes things work synergistically. And I think that's the one of the greatness of greatness and the beauties of our practice is that there is none of that because we're all sitting at the table together in our lanes of expertise, knowing how to address a condition and our patients get better, quicker, earlier, faster, better, sust- more sustainably, longer term. And it's not a matter of, oh, Dr. White did X using X or such and such did something. No, because we were all working together And that's why it's, you know, the overall lifestyle change. It wasn't you did this and that's what worked. No, you did it everything and it worked in conjunction. It worked synergistically. And now you have the essence of whole person care because you weren't just treating the symptom. You were treating the person and how they presented. You weren't treating the diagnosis. You were treating the whole person and the manifestation of those symptoms and what was underlying. So I think it's great that, again, that this good gynecology group is made up of providers and practitioners who know how to treat people. And I'm not saying that just from a medical standpoint, but I'm saying they know how to literally treat 
the people that are sitting in front of them. And that's, I think, what makes all the difference, especially in terms of healing and what that actually means in a person's life. So again, thank you so much for forming the Good Gynecology Group, because I think, again, we're about to change women's health and revolutionize <laughs> health one woman at a time. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, the way you express it, it just, it makes so much sense. I mean, you, you've, you had already done it. That's why we, that's why we're friends. Cause it's like, <laughs> you're doing this. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm trying to do this too. You know, it's right. like, we get it, you know, but, um, right. but your model of care, you, you know, integrating, I just don't think you can have gynecology without acupuncture. And I don't think you could have either one of those without steaming. If you right. put these things together and then midwifery and then do, right. you know, the doula, like we need yeah. all of this. We need yeah. the, you know, we intuitive need healers, all of like all of it, all of it. It just, and it all it Work. sense i yes. hope like when people hear that i don't know i don't know who could possibly hear this and be like that doesn't make sense like it doesn't make you know there's so much one. sense you know you there's one they're just sitting there like <laughs> with their like petty murphy smirk on and they're just like that's not gonna work <laughs> and just you know there's always one so but for those people kelly are there any resources that you can recommend uh for our listeners who want to explore vaginal steaming more or further educate themselves Sure. So I love research. I love research. I love case studies. And so I like to put all of those on the steamychick.com website. So um, when you go on there, you can find, I think I have it. um, I I move things around, but right now there's an FAQ section and you can find, I think I found like 13 or 14 studies um, that were done around the world. My, my study so far, my trial study is the only one that's been done in the United States, but I found studies in um, India, Suriname, and then the majority of studies in Korea and China on vaginal okay. steaming. And so those are posted there. We can see, you can see like, you know, some of the evidence about steaming um, used in conjunction with uh, radiotherapy uh, for cervical okay. cancer and HPV. Um, you can see steaming used... Um, for prolapse, you can see steaming used in menopause, uh, for infections and all the different, you know, studies that have been done. So, um, you know, there's still more to be done, but what exists, um, I do publish that on the website and then as well as, um, case studies, people sharing their own stories. Um, you can find, you know, blogs and information about people sharing their own studies there. If you're looking for a practitioner, working with a practitioner is a great way to get started. I recommend that for everybody doing a consultation and getting a steam plan. You can find, um, the directory of practitioners that I've certified, um, on steamychick.com as well as supplies. So excellent. It's a one-stop shop, y'all. You can get all the information and everything there. And so, Kelly, our last parting words of wisdom, what do you have to share? Keep it steamy. Keep it hot and steamy, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. That's it. There's no nothing more left to be said. Keep just it high steam and your vagina, people. It's not. It's that's not it. a problem. Just try it. Just try it. Like yes. it makes your life better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And I mean, there's that's the mic drop. There's really the mic drop. There's nothing more to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing this time together. I really do appreciate it, and we look forward to talking soon. Thank you. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, their contact information, and associated social media channels. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply to your own life. Also, please follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and comment telling us what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of in future episodes. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you next time.